0: Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Um,
1: good morning, church. How is everyone doing? you made it. You made it. It's raining. You had a lot of reasons not to be here today and it would have been valid, but you did it. Some of you even drove past the exit because it was flooding and you could have just went home, but you went and you made it. And so why don't you give yourself a round of applause for making it here today? Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Yeah, give yourself a round of applause. You made it this morning. Amen. Amen. We are in a series that um, we're calling Deconstruction or Deconstruct. And and for the last couple of weeks, we have been dealing with a series of topics that we don't, that aren't traditionally covered on a Sunday morning. Uh, But I hope that it's been helpful for you. Um, I hope. That it's been helpful for folks maybe who are in this room today um, or who are listening uh, who maybe have been thinking about the idea of deconstructing their faith um, and what I mean by that is pulling apart all of those elements that maybe at some point in time you thought were true and doing one of two things with it, um, walking away from Christianity uh, Walking away from church, but not Jesus. Um, Or maybe even perhaps rebuilding, reconstructing in a way in which you are now humbler with what you believe. More confident about your convictions. Amen. Um, Maybe not all of you. In fact, probably many of you haven't, but some of you share my experience. You've been born and raised in church. So you just kind of believe everything you've been told. And that at some point in time, you have to decide and discern for yourself. You have to make this faith your own. Amen? And so uh, this morning, we've entitled the message, uh, Toxic Church. And we are going to be exploring um, a sensitive subject. So before I get into the message, uh, I like to just offer a, 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 I want to be sensitive. Amen? I want to just offer maybe a bit of a warning. Uh, if I could even use the, the phrase, a trigger warning. Um, today we're going to be addressing subjects of abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, um, abusive leadership, and toxic church systems. And there are those sitting in the room right now like this isn't something you've just read about in an article or listen to on a podcast like you've experienced this firsthand and um and so this subject has the potential to reopen wounds and so i just want to uh, give you the freedom to if you feel like you have to get up at any point if you have to leave get some air um You know, we're just gonna assume everyone has to go to the restroom. Amen. Uh, Just make that a little bit lighter. But if you do, you know what I mean. There's no, well, on my end, there's no judgment zone. But I hope that this congregation would practice that too. Amen. Um, and I want to say this before we start. You know, but above all, above all else, if you have experienced abuse and you're working through that, uh, I want you to know that um, you are loved. By God, uh, you are welcomed here at Inspire Church as you process, and your voice matters to the body of Christ. Um, and sometimes I think the body of Christ can be a little, defen- a lot defensive, and I work on that even myself as a leader. But uh, we need to make it safe for truth tellers. Amen. We, we do. And, and I'm, work, I, I'm a work in progress in that in myself to receive. And, and um, anyways, I can go on and on, but I just, I just want to say you're welcome. Your voice matters. And I want you to know that you are not alone because there are leaders in this church, including myself, at different levels who have experienced some sort of spiritual abuse. And if you want to process, if you want to grab a coffee, you can DM us. You can email us. You can talk to me personally. My wife and I, we'd love to just sit and exchange experiences. We'd, we'd like to think that we're a safe space, but we just want to invite you to that process if you feel like after this service, you'd like to um, pursue that. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. John Smythe. John Smythe. He was an influential leader within the Church of England. He was also a brilliant lawyer, well-regarded for his efforts in defending Christian ethics in British courts. For six years, he regularly attended Christian boarding schools and evangelical summer camps where he led Bible studies and he led prayers. And where he'd often invite boys over to his home for Sunday lunch. It was at these lunches where he'd position himself as a mentor. And he'd begin to discuss subjects like lust and masturbation. But for years, nobody knew what was really going on. One by one, Smythe would summon each boy to his shed at the edge of his garden where he'd force them to strip naked. He'd require them to read a list of their sins out loud. And then he'd proceed to brutally beat them half to death. When one of the boys reported this abuse, Smythe was allowed to quietly leave England for South Africa in an effort to protect the reputation of the institutions that he had been a part of. And it was while he was in Zimbabwe that Smythe started a new network of Christian camps where he continued to beat boys murdering, confirmed murdering at least one 16 year old. Victims later recalled Smythe's biblical justification for the abuse as they were led to believe that he was disciplining their flesh and that he was leading them to believe that as God was their father in heaven, he was their spiritual father on earth. So what is spiritual abuse? What is spiritual abuse? What what distinguishes it from other forms of abuse, like emotional abuse? Physical abuse or, or, or sexual abuse? And why is it especially diabolical, demonic in the eyes of God? A few things it weaponizes faith, it twists scripture, it uses what was meant to heal to harm. It's, it's not just abuse, but it's abuse in the name of God. So that to question or disagree with the abuser is to question or disagree with God himself. Are you with me? God hates spiritual abuse. Just listen, listen to the words of Jesus in Mark 9, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes In me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. God hates spiritual abuse. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I always need you. We always need you. Holy Spirit, we always need you to illuminate the text. And it feels a little um, little weird to say we especially need you, uh, but we do need you in a particular kind of way this morning. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to hearts. I pray there would be a sweet spirit, but there'd also be a spirit of truth that ultimately um, that you would be our comforter. And right where you're at, would you just hold on to that? The Holy Spirit, you are our comforter. Yes. And so will you comfort us as we navigate through this this morning. And Lord, we are careful, even in dark moments, to give you honor and glory and praise because you alone are worthy of it all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off by saying that spiritual abuse is controversial. In fact, there are those in the church who find the phrase unhelpful. In fact, some would even accuse me of being a Marxist for acknowledging the role something like power dynamics play in abuse. Some would accuse us of being liberal, woke, ideological. I hate all those words. (laughs) Anytime I hear the word woke, I'm just triggered by who uses it. It's another sermon. Um, They tell us to just preach the Bible. To which I might reply and you may call me ignorant, but I might say to them facetiously, (laughs) have you read the Bible? Um, though the term spiritual abuse is not mentioned explicitly in the text, right? You're not going to find spiritual abuse in the text. I think you're going to see it all over. And I think you're going to see the heart of God calling out, calling it out. You see, in Genesis, we see Satan twisting God's words in order to deceive Eve, In 1 Samuel, there is a record of Eli's sons. Eli was a priest, and therefore his sons were priests. And they were priests at Shiloh. And the scripture tells us that they were bullying worshipers. They were stealing sacrifices. So as the worshipers brought their sacrifices to the temple or to the tabernacle to bring before the Lord, they would bully them and threaten them and take the sacrifice and roast it for themselves. But that's not all they were doing because the scripture also tells us they were not only bullying worshipers, but they were sleeping with the women who were volunteering and serving at the entrance of the tabernacle. These were priests. In fact, scripture says that God calls them abomination, calls them worthless men, and they end up dying for the, he punishes them with death. The prophets, and specifically the prophet Jeremiah, he, Jeremiah describes the prophets of God, In his day, as leading people astray, committing adultery, and walking in lies, referring to the unholy alliance between politicians and prophets, Ezekiel rebukes the prophets of his day. Do you hear what I said? Uh, Referring to the unholy alliance between politicians and prophets, and we have a lot of those today, Ezekiel says this her officials within were like wolves tearing their prey they shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain now here it is her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations they say this is what the sovereign lord says when the lord has not spoken y'all see that what? What do we? When the when the prophets put God's approval on the politician's injustice, and God says, "No, you are whitewashing their deeds, and you are using my name to do it." Yeah. You see, every spiritual abuser breaks the third commandment. At least, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen? So today, if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to go to Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. We are going to read verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. And in the text, here's how I want to frame this text um, I want you to look at how Jesus confronts the corrupt motives behind the spiritual abuse of those who possess spiritual power. You hear what I'm saying? I want, I want you to see how in the text, how Jesus is going to confront the corrupt motives. He's going to, corrupt, he's going to confront the corrupt motives behind the spiritual abuse of those who carry spiritual power. And then we're going to finish our discussion today by talking about how Jesus redeems power. Amen? And and brings glory to God. Y'all see that? And so if I can outline that again, we are at some point going to talk about the corrupt motives behind the spiritual abusers who possess spiritual power. And then we're going to finish by talking about Jesus's uh, redeeming of power. In order to bring God glory. You guys doing okay? Matthew 23. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. Scripture reads like this. Then Jesus said to the crowds. Notice. Well, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. I want you to notice who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the the, the crowds and the disciples. He's not even talking to the leadership. He's talking to you. He's talking to you about me. Are you hearing me? Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, are you ready? The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. That's going to be important. Then he says, watch. So do and observe whatever they tell you. And I'll, and I'll I'll talk to you about what that means. But he says, but not the works that they do. Now listen, for they preach but do not practice, pretty typical. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. You feel that? They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be what? seen by others for they make their phylacteries and I'll explain what that is broad and their fringes long essentially they just like to dress all showy and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others you see that they love that but you are not to be called rabbi You have one teacher and you're all brothers and call no man, your father on earth. And I'll explain this for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. There is one instructor, the Christ, the greatest among you shall be your what? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen? Where there is spiritual abuse, there is power. Power. And what do you think about when you think of power? Perhaps some of you think about somebody who is physically strong. But I want you to know that power comes in many different forms. And I want you to see the power, and I want to focus in on verse 2. I want to focus in specifically on scribes, Pharisees, and Moses' seats. Verse 2 talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and Moses' seat. I want you to see this. The scribes and Pharisees were men of spiritual authority. Their titles implied that they had gone through years of rigorous training you know it wasn't easy to be a scribe or a pharisee are you with me years of rigorous training and and they went through this years these years of rigorous training in order to gain a specific kind of expertise and mastery of the Torah are you hanging with me So, so what am I trying to say the scribes were experts in interpretation It would interpret the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew text, And the Pharisees, they specialized in practical theology. What What are all those big words? Let me just say this. People regularly congregated to synagogues to hear the Pharisees make the Torah relevant to their lives. Does that make sense? Now, what about Moses' seat? What what, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, Moses' seat uh, is symbolic for the authority of the law because Moses wrote the Torah. He wrote the law. And they saw Moses as a prophet of God, one of their greatest prophets. And so Moses' seat was a representation of the law of God. But also what's interesting, in archaeological digs, it has been discovered that there are literal seats in synagogues. There are chairs, which would seem to suggest that like pastors preaching the Bible on stage behind a pulpit, are you with me? The Pharisees would sit at a designated seat, when they would begin to expound the law of God to the people. I was over the, during the pandemic, when we were recording online, we filmed a few of our sermons at a particular church and they were very gracious. The one thing that they told me, the one rule was that when I was to preach, I was not to stand behind their pulpit. And so we had to actually kind of do it off to the side. And the reason why is because the particular denomination had really strict requirements. That unless you had credentials through that denomination, unless you had gone through rigorous training, had the appropriate degrees, it was not considered a place to be taken lightly or flippantly, which I respect. Are you with me? But when we talk about the seed of Moses, we're talking about a, a particular position, right? Right and so here's what I want I want you to see this is key position and title education and training along with a designated platform are you with me are all elements that provide an individual with power you don't have to be strong all you have to do is be sitting behind the pulpit you don't have to be physically strong to have authority and power. You just have to be given position, title. Those are all forms of power. Now, you ready? Add to that a holy text or a religious ceremony and you have spiritual power. Are we good? Yeah. Right? So there's power, there's pulpit, there's platform, right, right? And it's just like what's happening to you right now. You're experiencing it right now. What do I mean by that? I'm on a platform. I'm behind a pulpit. I'm expounding on a holy text. I have a degree in biblical studies and a title of senior pastor. Are you with me? So for most of you, maybe not all of you, but for most of you, you are actually right now lending me credibility. You're trusting me to speak to you and expound to you on, uh, from God. Are you with me? Like that's power. Would you agree? <laughs> Would you agree? It sounds like a sales pitch. <laughs> and we're in a ballroom, so, you know. Break it out. Break the charts out. <laughs> right, but but that's, that's power. That's a form of power. There's multiple, but that's power. So the question becomes, what were they doing with this power? How are they wielding it? Uh, How are they using or, or misusing this spiritual authority, spiritual power? Well, if you look at verse four, we see that the scribes and Pharisees seem to be abusing their power, spiritual abuse. And you say, well, where did you get that from? And that's an important question that you should ask. Right? What, what we see is after Jesus saying, hey, the scribes, the Pharisees sitting at the seat of Moses, he says, that, what do they begin to do? He says, they begin to tie up heavy burdens. So they're, put, they're tying something up, right? And, and, he's, and, and he says, and these are burdens that are hard to bear. And then he says, what, is he doing with, what are they doing with these burdens? Are they carrying them? No. They're laying them on the shoulder of people. And then they're not lifting one finger to help. Are you with me? Do you see the abuse? Now, some people may take issue that I'm calling this abuse. We can chat. I believe Jesus was calling out the spiritual abuse of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, I want you to note, 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 this is important. Jesus was not dismissing the Torah. In some degree, he says, like, what they say, listen, when they're expounding from the Torah. Are you with me? So he's not dismissing the truth of the Torah. But what he's exposing is the blatant misrepresentation of God. You see, from their positions of power, they added to God's word. This is what they did. They imposed on people more than what God had required. They were so extra. Instead of blessing God's people with God's word, they crushed men with their human additions and traditions. Are you with me? Can I say that again? Instead of blessing people with the word of God, they would expound on the word, but then they would add additions and human traditions and these additions became heavy burdens and weights that were put on the shoulders of the people which is why some of you in this room don't go to church anymore or struggle to even be here because you have come from places that didn't just preach the word but added to it and placed oppressive weights on it to the point where going to church was like going to prison And it was doubly scandalous. I don't even know if that's a word. Uh, Why was it doubly scandalous? Scandalous. Uh, Because though they were heavy on the people, they were light on themselves. Though they hammered the people, they were very gracious with themselves. They were showy, but when no one was looking in private... Very, very light and loose. And Jesus is calling this out. Are you with me? This is why in the next 25 verses, go home and read it. Jesus will refer to these spiritual abusers as hypocrites, fools, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, and my personal favorite, brood of vipers. This is what he's calling them. This is what he's saying. He's saying, and and hypocrite is among his favorite. It just keeps reoccurring. You hypocrite, you snake, you brood of viper, you whitewashed tombs. You know what a whitewashed tomb is? It looks really nice on the outside, but on the inside, it's dead. Now here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. You guys doing okay? I want to take some liberty to expose some red flags. In fact, I, I, I contemplate just putting like red flags all over the place on there. The red flag emoji. Try to be relevant. And so I, wanna, I just wanna provide for you a list. Actually, my wife and I compiled together. Um, and we can talk more, okay? Um, this is, we've been in ministry a long time. This is things that we've seen and we've heard, okay? I know there's some people are just gonna make all kinds of assumptions in this room as well. Um, I ask that you would suspend your assumptions and just know that this is something that we've seen, we've heard, we've counseled, and in some degree, at different levels, maybe you've even experienced some of these things personally. Are you with me? Yeah. So red flags. Now, here's what you're gonna notice. like Many of these are gonna intersect and intertwine, So some of it might sound a little redundant, but there might be little nuances that are important for us to kind of emphasize. Are you with me? This is not gonna be an exhaustive list. No doubt, some of you are gonna be able to add. In fact, I welcome you. If there's something that I've missed that you've been through, I'd actually love for you to send that in, amen? Mm -hmm. So if you're taking notes or writing, some of you sometimes God's doing a work and you're writing, please, like, I'd love to, are you with me? Okay, not an exhaustive list. And can I say one important thing? And I'll, I'll 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 just I'll just make another quick comment at the end of this. Like it's not always abuse, All right? I didn't get a lot of amens there, but I just also want to make sure that like, certain things not are not always abuse, and I, and I just want to have that caveat at the end. Okay? Are we okay? Okay. So number one, again. I'm not the most creative guy in the world. So I'm going to be as clear as I possibly can. Uh, Twisting scripture. Twisting scripture. And I'm specifically going to speak to the, the Christian, the Christian movement, okay? Because there are other religions that have abuses as well. But I'm going to specifically tailor fit this towards us because I feel like we need to call each other out. Like we get, we get, we, we make everyone else the enemy. Like we call everyone else out and then we lose credibility. We don't turn around and call ourselves out. Right. Let's get the picture. Jesus is going to his house first. Like he's cleaning his house first. Like he's kicking people out in his house first. So we got to clean our own house up. Okay. So number one, twisting scripture. Let me try to explain all abuse. You're going to see twisting scripture throughout this. All abuse. I'm trying to look if this is a foundational piece, if it begins with, but all abuse has a form of of twisting the text. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's really important as priests and kings in the kingdom, all of us. Why it's really important for you to have a relationship with the text as well. Anyway, it's not that sermon. What do I mean by that? Misusing, misinterpreting, and misapplying. And if you want to talk about interpretation, all that, you can go back to week one where we talked about, can we trust the Bible? We talked about a particular hermeneutic, gospel-centered, Christ-centered. Anyways, but misusing, misinterpreting, misapplying God's word in order to manipulate and control. You see that? And so let me just go over some red flags, just a few, not an exhaustive list, Well, I'll just give you three wives submit to your husbands as permission for men to sexually objectify their wives as permission for men to assert their power and dominance over their wives in order to make them to do something that they don't want to do. Are you with me? How about this? Shall a man rob God? Pay your tithes. Right? In fact, if you don't, there's going to be a blessing that's going to be withhold from you. Right? In fact, God is going to punish you. Are you with me? Some of you like, amen, preach that, pastor. But we don't guilt people. Right? It's not law that should motivate your giving. It's love. You hear me now? Now we have principles and accountability and I'm not saying, okay, don't ever. I'm just saying the motivation of your generosity should be from a heart that is overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Uh, This one right here. Touch not my anointed ones. Touch not my anointed ones. Right, right, this text has been used so many times as a justification for not questioning the pastor, not criticizing the leader. They're the anointed ones. They're the gifted ones. They have the power. God is speaking through them. And so as a result, you're called to be quiet. You can't doubt. You can't question. Are you with me? That's God anointing. In fact, if you do it, you're going to get in trouble. When a pastor or a leader creates a, a hedge of protection against the ability to be critiqued, there's a problem. There's a red flag, and I speak to you from a pastor. It's really hard to receive critique sometimes, but if I want to be a pastor, doesn't abuse power. I have to lay down my life and my rights and my pride. Pastors, no, Amen. I have to. It's not always easy. You could talk to my staff, constantly processing through this. And I'll just throw, I have a little bit of time, so I'll just throw a couple of miscellaneous ones out there. The prosperity gospel. Some of you are sending your money into people because you think that by sending in your money, you're somehow buying God's favor. As if his favor is for sale. And you're listening to it on your podcast and you're in your YouTube right now. Some of you have family members who have given everything. You're frustrated. You're like arguing with grandma, you know? And I just don't want to say, "Yo, God bless it." There's sincerity, but there are wolves. And even though the person could be sincere and love Jesus, you have to be aware that there are false gospels being weaponized, being forged against you. We doing okay? How about prophecy? Come on, for all the charismatics and Pentecostals in the room, you have to call yourself out. You have to call your movement out. The weaponizing of prophecy. It is not God's word. It is manipulation and control. And can I tell you, it doesn't just happen on stages and pulpits. It happens in homes where like a a spouse has God's, oh, that's, you know, he's real. She's really prophetic. So I just do whatever they say. And you're led into mistake after mistake and pain and pain and suffering. And you know, you end up blaming God. And can I just say this? Can I be, um, sometimes abusers have been abused. And sometimes they've come from environments where things were out of control. Mm -hmm. And so as they grew up, they want to control everything. Because to do that, they want to create a space of safety because they were never in a safe space. You hear me? Are you with me? And sometimes it's not even done predatorily. It's just done as an act of safety because I know. And so if I slap God behind it, we're going to do it this way, which means we're going to be safe. And I'm never going to be in that place that I was as a child where I wasn't protected. Do you hear me? So I want to, it's still wrong, but there are predators and wolves. And then there are folks that are operating in this that don't even understand that their flesh is now married to this false sense of God and they end up abusing are we okay yeah. number two and I'm laughing only because I'm okay too I gotta get going legalism some of this is gonna overlap right you know this is twisting scripture but, but legalism what, what do I mean by that wherever there is an excessive amount of rules red flag <laughs> Red flag, wherever there's an excessive amount of rules, red flag, here's what I mean. I'm not talking about the good and beautiful boundaries God has given us, but I'm talking about the kind of micromanaging of any area of your life. You see that? Let Let me say this. Legalism, stick with me, creates a culture That subtly, or maybe not subtly, communicates that favor with God depends upon you following the abusive leader's rules. That you are not in good graces with God unless you are following the leader's rules. Are you with me? And so if you want God to have favor over your life, then you need to listen to the man of God. This produces a sense of superiority, doesn't it? Have you ever been in these spaces? You can keep it quiet or you can say amen if you want. Have you ever been in these spaces? Like for those who are outwardly compliant, it creates a kind of elitism in the church, doesn't it? If you conform and comply to the abusive leader's rules, you're elevated. But if you don't, you're shunned. Any shunned folks in the house? I'm going to take your giggles as a yes. Yes. I've seen this micromanagement get so petty. I've heard it get so petty. (laughs) Seen it, heard it. And again, I just don't want, I don't want you guys to like go on my Twitter page and say, where did he come from? I want you to know we've been in this, we've been in ministry for a long time. We've counseled, you understand what I'm saying? We've counseled a lot of people. I've seen this kind of micromanagement get so petty to the point where like, Deciding who to date has to be ran by a particular leader. Now, some of y'all should run your dates by me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Help me! I got to look at my wife. (laughs) Gotta read her eyes. I mean, some of you should practice accountability, but what I'm saying is, y'all with me? Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay, okay, okay. Be careful. We're gonna move on from legalism. There's all kinds of things we could say. I gotta get on for time, okay? Number three, fear. Fear is used. Fear is used. Fear. Fear is used. There are a lot of you that there's a heavy weight of fear on you. Heavy weight of fear. You're carrying, you're walking in right now. In fact, you go to church not out of love, out of fear. It's f- fear, right? Uh, you know, oh, I'm gonna go off on a tangent. <laughs> and we got communion. <laughs> yeah, I don't wanna make people so, like feel, yeah. I don't wanna do with the thing that I don't want people to do. So. I, I just, you know, so I just can tell when people are operating off of a fear or a shame. Um, thanks, babe. You helped me on that one. Give me a good look. (laughs) Throughout my life in ministry, I've seen and heard fear in in a few different ways, right? Bullying. Bullying. What do I mean? Like the use of intimidation and aggression. Loud, demonstrative, you know, even nonverbal cues. Right, I've I've heard of and seen situations where it wasn't even what the person was saying, but you could just see it and feel it. Mega church pastor, Mark Driscoll, who is the pastor, who's actually currently pastoring in Arizona, who was pastoring in Seattle in a church called Mars Hill. In fact, there's a whole podcast on this. Um He would yell and scream at his members from the pulpit. He'd have closed-door meetings with his staff calling them names, cussing them out. He'd even punch staff members. He'd often brag about all the bodies that were under the bus of his church plant. Um, and during the height of his ministry, I listened. I enjoyed his ministry. And then you're rereading and re-looking through some things and seeing red flags. You're even asking yourself, wait a minute, what was I doing? Where was I at? Are you with me? Can I just, can I be honest? we be honest. we be honest. And can I say this? Like some of you in here have a lot of pride. I won't get abused. That's not true. That's not true. That is not true. We're sheep and that's Okay. Right, if you look at bullying, there's, there's no like it's not a sexual thing that abuse. Right, sometimes we all think we compartmentalize abuse as just this. How about this form of fear, demonizing? Demonizing. I've seen this happen in a few ways. Number one, um, you know, when you're told everything outside of the community is evil. Everything's bad. Everything's worldly. Don't do, Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like there's only a few things you can do and that's in here. Right? Your friends, evil. <laughs> Family, evil. Career, evil. Even other reputable churches, evil. Evil. And I said reputable churches, right? Because there are some churches that are just evil. And sometimes we just need to call that out. Hey, d- don't think about going to that one, okay? Here, let me tell you why, right? But even, like, there's a competitive nature. Like, like and I heard somebody say this in my studies. this week. But, like, like, this church is like the ark. The raging flood of evil is out there. And so come into this refuge and hide. And there's only safety here. Right, there are cults posing as Christians that are walking around, even recruiting folks come to my thing. And well, what's the way they're very vague about the name or what it is. And you go there and they start teaching you things that seem to suggest that no, no one else has the truth, but us. Have you met those people? Have you been to those Bible studies? Right. uh, Um, you're told everything is evil. And there was a, a, a way that I phrased it that I want to go back and say. Yeah, even reputable churches, right? As if your space has a monopoly on God's presence and is the only safe space in the world. Second, number two. Oh, that's my time? Okay. Geez, guys, this is all bad. Moving through. <laughs> I thought I was doing great. Um, Those who have left or have stood up against abusive pastors and abusive systems are like called demonic. And are believed to be the literal tool of Satan to destroy God's work, which is literally just their own kingdom. Feeding their own egos. How about the Shaming. What do I mean? Name-calling, chastising, belittling, calling people rebellious, calling them stumbling blocks to what God is trying to do. True story, I know pastors calling out members on the pulpit as they preach on Sunday morning. Pastors literally creating whole sermons around people they want to put on blast or put on notice for their perceived dissent. It's a form of public humiliation that those pastors deem People are worthy of it because they're not on board. Next one, enforced accountability. I had a good conversation with one of our members. In fact, when I said this, I'm sure they're probably looking up. I had a great conversation prior to attending Inspire. They attended another church in the Bay Area that called themselves Christian. But the deeper they got involved, they realized that this isn't really Christian. And they started to require confession And when they didn't confess in front of a group of people, they questioned their salvation. This is legalism. This is coercion. Are you with me? Emotional manipulation. When an abuser, when an abusive leader exploits the good affections and desires of a person's heart. Are you with me? What do I mean by that? Like uh, using familial language and terms of endearment to create a sense of belonging and trust in individuals who are vulnerable, alone, or orphaned. These terms are not used in a redemptive sense. Can I say I call you brother and sister and father and mother? That's a, there's a redemptive way to use these terms. So I want to make sure nobody in here is freaking out if someone says, hey brother so-and-so says, but I'm saying that the abuser will manipulate and use these good redemptive terms. Are you with me? These terms are not used in a redemptive sense, pointing them back to God and the family of God, but using it to stroke their own egos, accomplish their own plans, or gratify their own lusts. And you know it because love has limits. Because the moment you don't comply, the moment you disagree, then all of a sudden that care that was promised, that love, that unconditional love that was given, that familial love, Word of endearment that was pronounced is taken away. Right? Loyalty equals love. And in these spaces, they'd rather you be loyal than honest. Loyalty is preferred over honesty. Okay, man. corrupt motives. I'm going to go super fast, guys. You guys okay? Hungry? Corrupt motives, corrupt motives, corrupt motives. We're going to go quickly. Where's Pastor Roger? Kids ministry, everything. I love you guys. Corrupt motives. Here we go. Here's why they're doing all this. This, here's the motivation. Are you ready? Praise, prestige, power, position. Y'all with me? Jesus exposes the corrupt motivation behind the spiritual abuse of the scribes and Pharisees. They did not desire to feed God's sheep, they desired to feed themselves. Are you with me? They were hungry, but what they were hungry for was praise, prestige, position, power. They loved showing off, strolling in crowded marketplaces with their supersized phylacteries, big boxes, carrying scriptures in them, and their castles. Paul would make his own appeal later on in Romans 16, 17 through 18. He would say, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. That's Paul. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive. Author and clinical psychologist, Dr. Diane Langberg. I'd love to give you Diane Langberg. She's incredible. And if you want, if you want, resources i'll send them to you listen to what she says well i want to add to that list we have praise prestige position power finances fame sexual favors dr diane laneberg says it like this i can't say it any better shepherds that feed on the sheep are abusive shepherds that protect themselves rather than the sheep are abusive Leadership that preserves and protects the system rather than the sheep have made the house of God a den of thieves who steal from the sheep who have come to feed on God and instead have found themselves to be the food for others That should be up there i us say it one more time Shepherds that feed the sheep are shepherds that feed on the feed on the sheep are abusive Shepherds that protect themselves rather than the sheep are abusive Leadership that preserves and protects the system rather than the sheep have made the house of God a den of thieves, who steal from the sheep, who have come to feed on God and instead have found themselves to be the food for others. I hope you get that. So what's Jesus's response to all of this? He redeems power. He redeems power. He redeems power. How does he do it? 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 He points people back to the ultimate source. You know what power is for? Power is to point people back to the ultimate source of that power. Are you with me? How did he do that? You remember when he said, call nobody rabbi? He says, for there's only one teacher. He says, call no man on earth father. Some of you are a little confused by that, right? For you have one father in heaven. He says, neither call anyone an instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. What is Jesus doing there? Is he forbidding the use of titles? He's not forbidding their use, he's forbidding their abuse. What do I mean by that? When a person assumes the title of pastor, the question is this. Are they pointing you towards themselves or towards Jesus who is our good shepherd? Right? And so are they a conduit, conduit? Are they not pointing to but through to Christ? Are you with me? How about this? When a person assumes the role of a spiritual father, are they pointing you towards themselves or towards our father in heaven? When a person preaches or teaches, are they teaching you to obey the words of Christ or are they teaching you to obey the additions and traditions of men? Are you with me? If your church, if your pastor or spiritual leader is not using their authority to point you back to Jesus, then they are guilty in some way, in some shape, in some form of a kind of spiritual abuse. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have the hosts get ready. We're going to quickly administer the elements in a moment. I'm going to take my time through the elements, but we're coming to a landing. Amen. So how did Jesus redeem spiritual power? Number one, it's that all power must point to the ultimate power, God. And then he defines and demonstrates what that looks like because you can call anything God. Amen? He demonstrates redemptive power. He demonstrates the kind of redemptive power of God. Are you with me? What do I mean by that? Do you remember verses 11 and 12? Jesus said this, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I want you to notice this. And we're finishing. Jesus does not eliminate power. He redeems power. After exposing spiritual abuse, Jesus provides a picture of what power is supposed to look like. Amen? After exposing spiritual abuse, Jesus provides a picture of what power looks like in the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? I'll just give you a couple ideas. Number one, greatness looks like humility. Leadership looks like servanthood. Are you with me? And power looks like laying down your life in order to lift others up. Wolves, predators, abusers don't do any of this. Are you with me? Greatness looks like humility. Leadership looks like servanthood. And power looks like laying down your life in order to lift up others. And just in case you don't know what that looks like, you look at Jesus Christ. Who was God in the flesh? There's nobody who walked this earth more powerful than that. Who humbled himself, the scripture says. And you know what? In many ways, you know what the cross is? It's a symbol. It's not symbol. It's a literal, it's a literal clue. Not a clue. It's a literal demonstration that Jesus was spiritually abused. Because you know what put them there? The people who were co-opting, twisting, misusing scripture. The word was in front of them. And they twisted the word to crucify the word. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray as we leave this place that we would not leave your presence. And as everyone is just there in your space of prayer and meditation, can I just, before you leave, can I leave you with the words of Jesus who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he makes an invitation and he doesn't invite people to church. He invites them, he says, come to me, all those who are tired, all those who are weary, all those who have been used, all those who have been abused, all those who have suffered fear and shame, all of those who have suffered under legalism, all of those who have had scriptures misapplied, misrepresented, twisted. Come to me. Come to me. Come to And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's light and easy. I did the work. I served, I laid my life down. I was beaten, battered, crucified, spit on. Thank you, Jesus we have a good, good God. We give you all honor, we give you all glory and all praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen, amen. God bless you.
0: Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.